Thank you. Thank you very much for this, and thank you to your listeners as well. Thank you. So let's just um, recap on uh, the ANC's impressions of what happened yesterday. Do you believe that you were deliberately provoked? Definitely. There is no question about it. I mean, the, the insults that were thrown at the Speaker of the House, the insults, that were thrown to the House itself, members of the African National Congress being called all sorts of things, that was extreme provocation. But it was quite clear that indeed the EFF had every intention of disrupting the state of the nation address. There's no question about it. Mm. Uh, but then you also conceded that uh, there were ANC MPs who also responded equally with expletives and insults. Definitely, which uh, again, you see, as as the African National Congress, we have always uh, been uh, very, very behaving under extreme provocation. Uh, But in this instance, there are some of our members uh, who did not respond in a manner uh, that uh, is respectful. So it's something that we will look at. But in the first instance, we should not allow the EFF to want to derail the business of parliament and uh, insult everybody with impunity because under those circumstances, you are likely to get responses that you will regret. I'd like to go to the issue of uh, the Democratic Alliance and uh the issue that they raised, that they were calling for a moment of silence for the victims of uh, what we call the Esidimeni controversy, the 94 mentally ill patients who died as a result of them being moved from there. You called it disingenuine. On what basis can you judge it as disingenuine? Well, let's first say the, the manner in which we bring any matter before Parliament is through consensus as party. Uh, if there is a matter of public importance that is very urgent, of course there are also procedures in Parliament on how you need to do such. You do consult with the Speaker beforehand, but you do consult with other parties beforehand. And as I've said at the press conference, if the DA was genuine, uh, about this matter, not wanting to appropriate such a sensitive matter to themselves, they would indeed have uh, consulted with the African National Congress and other parties. Had they done so, as it is normally the norm in Parliament, rest assured, we would have gone with that, we would have supported a, a, a moment of silence, but they didn't do so. They, in fact, we were also very surprised when they, they brought the moment of silence, because indeed we had not been alerted, the Speaker had not been alerted, members of the House had not been alerted. Normally under these circumstances, you do at least bring such matters through consensus before the House. It's a practice in Parliament. You've also accused the EFF of being behind the... Uh, the canister that was um, uh, detonated, so to speak, inside the what, whether it's a tear gas or pepper spray canister that was detonated inside of the house, you accused the AF, EFF of that. On, on what do you base that? 
we, we have witnesses who indeed have seen that uh, pepper spray or whatever you call it in the area where an EFF person and personality was sitting. So there are witnesses that have given us that information, of course. We will then give those witnesses, the witnesses to the parliamentary authorities as they continue with the probe. Uh, on this very unfortunate mm. event. Just finally, I, I'm curious about this particular one, Mr. Mtembu. You say that you were misled about members of uh, the military being within the parliamentary precinct, the members of the SANDF. Who misled you? No, 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 no. We, we have not said we were misled. We said throughout the week, Indeed, there was communication from the parliamentary authority, even in consultation with the parties, that there would be no uh, army personnel except the ceremonial ones in the precinct of parliament. What we have then done, because we have also seen ourselves yesterday and through pictures, we have seen army personnel armed in the precinct of parliament around the area where the red carpet is outside. We therefore cannot conclude when we have not received any charity from the authority of parliament that we are misled. We have asked clarity from the leadership of parliament, because indeed the army, in terms of our rules, in terms of how we conduct parliament, the army can only come to parliament when allowed to do so by the authority of parliament. And that authority of parliament resides with the speaker of parliament and the national chair of the council of provinces. All that we have said at our press conference, but yes, we have seen the soldiers. Yes, they were armed. All that we will then request from our speaker and our chair of the NCOP is under what circumstances did they then allow these members to be there? And indeed, we would like to have clarity on that matter, because in our view, Parliament is a democratic house of debate. It's not a war zone. All right, thank so you so much. So from that angle, we think we will get the necessary clarification from the Speaker and the National Chair of the NGOP. Thank you very much, uh that there is Jackson Mtembu, NC Chief Wapu, on the line now to research a fellow at Think Tank Trade Collective, uh, Lewahang Peko. A very good afternoon to you, Ms. Peko, and thank you very much for speaking to us. She's also a political analyst and uh, policy expert. Talk to us about your impressions, first of all, of not only what happened yesterday, but especially the whole furore around the presence of the military, even the SAPS. So I think this is a message. The one thing really to do with the, the way that the state is willing to deploy power, in fact, the executive and its willingness to deploy power, state power, um, and what this symbolizes, because it really suggests a few things. It suggests, firstly, that we're in a state of combativeness. Um, I mean, we were told a few days ago that the, SA, that the, the SANDF would only enter Parliament if there were a calamity, an undefined calamity. And there was a very scant reference to the powers, privileges, and immunities um, that are, that, which are, which, which are, 
in relation to the use of state security services in Parliament, and it talks about the whole notion of for the purpose of performing and any policing function. And why then elected representatives need to be policed in this particular way. The second is the impression that Parliament is now becoming a place of hostility rather than a place where the government, because the government is, by the way, not only the elected, um, the, the, the party that won the most votes, but of course it, it also encompasses parliamentary procedures, it also encompasses opposition politics, which are a vibrant and very germane part of our democratic processes here and in any country in the world. And basically this seems to lead to a tone and a suggestive of a new tone of engagement which is combative and also where the state, in particular particular through the, the executive power, is exercising um, you know, force over um, opposition voices or dissenting voices. And of course, last and certainly never least, the impression that this leaves on the South African public and the public at large internationally, but particularly us an incredibly bruising, upsetting, and I think in many ways many of us will never be the same again as a result of this. Mm. So how should we then interpret the status quo or even the future in terms of the political landscape in South Africa, a democratic project? Have we made a leap into what some say, and and whether facetious or not, a dictatorial terrain? Look, you know, there there are a few... There are a few things that seem to be em- em- emblematic of um, authoritarianism, to be so, and the listeners. The one is the, the deployment of state power. Um, the second is the lack of accountability of that state power. Um, the third is the distancing of parliamentary and opposition voices and processes in this. The, the fourth would probably be the lack of constitutionalism and the increasing, the increasing uh, a way in which there's been a combative relationship between the more robust constitutional instruments, such as the Office of the Public Protector, and that sometimes even the Constitutional Court itself, which the executive um, on two or three occasions now has ignored the rulings made by the Constitutional Court. So that undermining of what should be checks and balances is, you know, all of these things point to a new form of authoritarianism. Well, it's not actually that new. It's just perhaps new-ish to us. And the sixth, I, might, I must add, is um, the use of the media um, and the kind of the, the drama that's been taking place the ABC and the, and, the, and, and the deployment of the state broadcaster to then present a, 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 a sunshine and roses picture of this country by not showing um, dissent, by not presenting the full picture, the full dimensions of people's lived experiences in this country. Again, that kind of false information or half information is part of, in, uh, is part of anesthetizing and, uh, and, and manufacturing a consent and an ambiance of this country that may or may not actually be true. Just finally, I'm curious, though, when you talk about the state broadcaster, you're talking about the public broadcaster, and uh, what about generally the relationship between the media and the government going forward? Look, uh, you know, one thing that's unfortunate, Ma'am, so is that the media was prevented or hampered quite significantly last evening from doing their job, from doing what they're supposed to do, which is to report 
what they see um, in Parliament and to report it as objectively as possible and to give a multiplicity of, of perspectives. I mean, there were barely people at the end of it. There were barely opposition parties and voices um, available to, 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 to get sound bites from, which is a discredit to the process. It's a discredit to public discourses and public intellectualism. And it's a, it's a discredit to the state of the nation, which is what needs to be debated rigorously. Um, and I think that this illustrates the new, well, not so new, but a particular combativeness, ugliness, but also aggression. Oh, and yes. really what needs to happen right now is that we will see whether this, how this shifts opposition politics, how it perhaps even brings opposition parties closer together to coalesce around the, you know, fighting for the soul of constitutionalism, um, parliamentary propriety, parliamentary legalities or illegalities. And I think that what the African National Congress may find, the governing party may find, is that um, there's a huge distinction between governing, um, which they should have been doing, and ruling, which these sorts of con- which no. this kind of conduct is. This is this is ruling party behaviour, which is very problematic.